Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, February 4th, 2024, we continue our series titled Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, How to Be Rich, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. Enjoy. If you look at the Gospels, Jesus talked more about money than he did about prayer. Jesus talked more about money than he did about faith. In fact, Jesus talked about money a lot. Maybe you've heard uh, this phrase before, you know, I don't like the church. All the church wants is my money. You heard that before? Man, don't sell us short. We want way more than just your money. We want everything. We want all of you. Because that's what Jesus wants. And the church is God's plan A to change and save the entire world. See, Jesus doesn't just want some of you. Jesus wants all of you. When we give our life to Jesus, there's this verse in the Bible that says, um, anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone and new has come. So we all go through this uh, transformation, you could say, this sanctification process where the old us dies and the new us slowly begins to come forward. The old things fall away and new things have come. So we talk about it in church a lot of times as like time, talent, and treasure, right? And when you come to Jesus... Something happens, you begin spending your time differently. Maybe once where you thought all of your time was just your own, so you spent all of your time on you. Any free time you had, it was time that you would spend on yourself. Just, it's not a bad thing to spend time on yourself. Please don't hear me wrong this morning. You'd spend all of your time just leisure, just doing whatever you want to do. And then you come to Jesus and you start spending your time differently. Sunday morning is a great time to play golf, but you tell your buddies, hey, not quite as much anymore. I'm actually going to go to church. What, 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 what? What's a church? Well, we sing. What? You start spending your time differently. Instead of getting up and getting to work early, maybe you get up and you get to your Bible study early, or you and your wife join a group, or you begin bringing your kids to church. You begin talking about Jesus out in the world. You begin spending your time differently. Maybe it's your talents, the things that God's made you good at, or your skills, your wisdom, whatever it might be. It could even be your hobbies. Maybe your hobbies begin to reflect differently. You find your hobbies as a way for you to glorify God, and you certainly can. God says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. You might be asking, does Thomas really play a yellow golf ball? He didn't strike me as a yellow golf ball guy. I play a yellow golf ball, baby. This is not the point of this morning. I switched to yellow this year, and my game's never been better. I don't know why. But even our hobbies, our talents, the things we're good at, the things we like doing, we can do those in such a way uh, where we glorify God with them. I was reminded this morning, we have a marketplace ministry, and it's a team full of people um, who've been in business and have been successful in business, and they're using their time and their talents to pour into the next generation of businessmen and businesswomen here in the valley. It's a combination of both. It's their time and it's their talents. And we're, we're good with those. Okay, I'll give God my time. I'll give God's church my time. I'll give God my talents, you know, my wisdom, the things I'm good at, the things I enjoy. I'll give God's church my talents as well. But our treasure, the weird thing about treasure is that treasure is a representation of both. See, we spend a lot of time 
doing the things we're good at, and most of the time, the time plus the talent, if we're in the right profession, it turns into treasure. But that's mine. It's my money. It's my stuff. It's my possessions. Does God want all of us? Yes. Does God want our time? Yes. Does God want our talents? Yes. Does God want our treasure? The answer is yes. Everyone do this with me. Everyone take a deep breath. Let's pray and then hop into the text this morning because the text deals directly with treasure. The things that God's given us, how are we gonna use it and steward it for his glory, not for our own. That's where we're going. Sorry to give away the punchline, but I'm gonna pray and ask for God's help and then we'll dive in. God, we thank you that you did not hold back when it came to your pursuit of us. God, you gave your only son that if we would believe and trust in him, then we wouldn't perish, but we'd have eternal life. God, thank you for going all the way. God, thank you for giving it all. Father, you are a generous father, and as your children, we pray that this morning you would help us become like our heavenly dad, that your character would become our character. Your generosity would become our generosity. Holy Spirit, I pray for help this morning. That's what you came for. Jesus sent the helper that you would help convict us of sin. You'd also help us glorify Jesus. So, Holy Spirit, I pray this morning you would open our eyes, our ears, our minds, our hearts, that you'd convict us, that we can um, grow in any area that we need to grow in our discipleship this morning. God, maybe it's our time, maybe it's our talent, or like the text says, maybe it's our treasure. God, would you mold us and shape us to the people you want us to become for your glory and your glory alone. God, we, we love you, we praise you. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. We are in Luke chapter 12 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible and a seat back in front of you. Luke chapter 12. Uh, we are beginning in verse 13. Three main points to Jesus' text today. And I'm going to give you all three of those up front. And then the plan will be at the end, kind of close with some um, reflections of some things that I've just been wrestling in my own study of this this week. The first thing Jesus is going to show us when it comes to our possessions that's the word I'm using. It's your money. It's your wealth. Stuff seemed a little too, uh, I don't know, loosey-goosey for the official outline. So we went with possessions. Here's the first thing Jesus says. Don't be greedy for possessions. Don't be greedy for possessions. The second thing Jesus tells us is don't be anxious about possessions. Don't be anxious about possessions. So we have two don'ts, and then we have a do. Do, however, be generous with our possessions. Don't be greedy, don't be anxious, be generous. That's where we're going to go. We're going to pick it up in verse 13. Jesus is preaching this sermon. Someone in the crowd pipes up and says to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, which is way off topic, by the way. Jesus just dealt with the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, and then he went on about having authentic faith and what's that look like and um, this guy's desire to be rich. He just can't help himself but chime in during Jesus' sermon and says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. In other words, would you help me get rich? Jesus says, but 
Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Now, this man's comment seems small at first, but we need to wrestle with it because it's really the heart of many of us. It's our heart at birth. It's the natural heart of man is to desire more stuff. We want more stuff. And that desire for more stuff is dangerous for our spiritual growth. It's dangerous for our discipleship. It's dangerous for this sanctification that we want to see in our life. You could rewind to Luke chapter 18. Jesus tells this parable. There's a farmer. He's throwing seeds all over the place. Remember this parable? And the seed falls on different soils. Some soil's really good, so a plant begins to grow begins to produce fruit. One of these soils in particular, the seed expands and the roots start to run deep and the plant comes up quickly, but all around the plant are thorns. And Jesus says, the thorns choke the life out of the plant. The thorns choke out discipleship. The thorns choke out spiritual growth. The thorns choke out our faith. And what were the thorns according to Jesus? The cares and desires for riches. It's a dangerous desire to want more in this life. It can potentially choke out our faith. Take your Bible with me. Go to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. You can just follow along. I'll read it if you'd like, or you can turn there with us as well. 1 Timothy 6 deals with this desire. 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 6, says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. So if we want more in this life, here's how we get it. If we want gain... This is where it comes from, godliness and contentment. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, those are our needs. We'll talk about those later today. With these we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You ever heard that money is the root of all evil? You've heard that phrase before? It's wrong. Money is amoral. Money is not good, money is not bad. Money is a tool. God says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's loving money, loving things, loving stuff, loving possessions, loving wealth. That's dangerous. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So why does Jesus stop and talk about it? Because the desire to be rich is a big deal. So Jesus goes on, he's going to tell a story, verse 15, and he says to them, take care and be on guard. In other words, be careful and defend yourself against all covetousness. Covetousness is greed. And greed is an insatiable desire for more. It's never feeling satisfied. It's never feeling like you have enough. It's not, you eat a big steak. You eat a big steak, eventually you start feeling full, right? You feel satisfied. But something happens when I sit down with a large glass of milk and a few Oreos. <laughs> One, two, three Oreos turns into six, seven, eight, turns into the whole sleeve, and at that point, why even stop, right? <laughs> it's insatiable. Just one more, and I'm looking, making sure my wife doesn't come out there. It's insatiable, just one more, just one more, just one more. That's greed. It's an insatiable desire, a craving for more. And Jesus says, take care and be on guard against greed. Why? Because it's natural. It's what all of us want. All of us desire more. And no one had to teach us. 
Christmas rolls around, my three-year-old, she sees a commercial for some toy that's gonna break four seconds after she gets it, and she sees it, and you know what she says? I need it. I didn't have to teach her that. That's what's in us. And we can laugh about my three-year-old, but guess what? Every January, new golf clubs come out that go farther and straighter, and I watch those ads, and you know what I say? I need it. Because that's what's in our heart. We desire more. Jesus says, guard yourself against this greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Maybe you've heard this phrase, the man with the most, how does it even go? I didn't even get it right. The man who dies with the most toys, dies. (laughs) Can't take it with him. That's what Jesus says. Life isn't about that. You can't take it with you. There's more meaning in life than just acquiring stuff, acquiring possessions, acquiring wealth. There's more to life than that. So Jesus tells them a parable, verse 16. He tells them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So who gets the credit here? Not the rich man, the land does. The rich man doesn't produce anything. It's actually the land. The rich man in this story, he just has a really good year. He's blessed abundantly. Let's see how he might respond. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, and I'll see if you can see where he goes wrong here, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have... Ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Can you see where he went wrong? Me, I, me, my. Someone told me after first service, did you know it was 62 words and 11 times? That's around 20%. He's just totally self-absorbed. That's his focus. His focus is on, I did this. I did this. I earned this, I deserve this, and I will spend it however I choose. That's his heart. That's his focus. Everything God has given me is for me. Now friends, we have to ask ourselves, if you have a good year, here's a question we have to ask ourselves. Why is God doing this? Is this for me, for my, for I? Or is God increasing stuff, God increasing possessions, wealth, God increasing the things he's given you, not for the purpose of being rich towards yourself, but being rich towards God and being generous towards others? Something we have to wrestle with. But God said to him that night, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God, you'll notice the sermon title if you're into that kind of thing. It's how to be rich, not how to get rich. The Bible doesn't talk about how to get rich. The Bible talks a lot about how to be rich. How do we live a life that's rich towards God? How do we live a life that's generous towards others? How do we live a life that's open-handed with the things that God has entrusted us? Don't be greedy. That's the first thing. Don't be greedy. 
for possessions. See, that's where we teeter-totter, we tip into that. But then the second thing he says is don't be anxious either. See, at any given moment, this is kind of the game we find ourselves playing. We tip into greed, desiring more, I don't have enough, or tipping into worry, I won't have enough. Jesus wants neither for us. Doesn't want us to live a life of greed and doesn't want us to live a life of worry. Do not be anxious about possessions. Beginning in verse 22. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Speaking specifically about our needs. Okay, we covered our greeds. Now let's talk about needs. And Jesus defines them in two things. Your sustenance, food and water, and your clothing. Now, last I checked, if I look at my own life, I think I need a whole lot more than that. And I think we need to be honest with ourselves when it comes to our life. Is this just a want? Is this a desire? Or is this an actual need? Okay, I need the newest iPhone. I do. I just need it. How else am I going to post pictures on Instagram to impress a bunch of people I don't like if I don't have the newest iPhone? I need... I need my wife to drive a Suburban. How, she needs to drive a tank, okay? How well? I need it. I need a truck. I need it. I coach a 12-year-old baseball team. We're going to the World Series next year. Not the Little League one, the real one. This is big stuff. How else am I going to coach baseball if I can't put four hitting nets and seven buckets of balls in the bed of my truck? I need a truck. We can justify a lot of things. You want a Suburban? Get a Suburban. Great. Truck? Great. New iPhone? Great. It's fine. But we have to be honest with ourselves. Is this something I need or is this just something I want? It's okay to want it. It's okay to get it. I think we just need to be honest. What's a need and what's just a desire? Jesus says, don't be anxious when it comes to your needs. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And then he gives us two examples, some birds and some grass. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Not a trick question. Everyone answer. Does God love you more than birds? Does God take care of birds? Doesn't that mean God will take care of you? Yes. Birds don't have barns. Birds don't have storehouses. God created them. He cares for them. He provides for them. He created us. He loves us. We're in his image. We're his children. Will God, will God our Father fail to provide the needs for his children? Of course he won't. He'll provide for us. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life if you then are not able to do a small thing as that? Why are you anxious and worried about the rest? Second illustration. Consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, 
which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? God cares for the grass so much that he adorns the grass with wild flowers. If God cares for the grass and provides the needs for the grass, will he not also provide for us? Yes. He goes on, he says, do not seek what you're to eat and what you are to drink. Don't be worried. Don't be greedy, don't be anxious. For all the nations of the world seek after these things and your Father, God our Heavenly Father, knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Instead of seeking stuff and being greedy and desiring riches and trying to accumulate more and more and more and living for that, instead of tipping into this and instead of tipping into anxiety of I won't have enough, I don't have enough and I won't have enough. Instead of Leaning into either of those, we lean into Jesus, and what's it say? We seek first his kingdom. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, everything else falls into place. He'll take care of us. He knows what we need, and he will provide. So don't be greedy for possessions. Don't be anxious about possessions. Instead, we're generous with possessions. Verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Now, here's what I think he's talking about here. I think he's talking about us creating margin. Some margin so we can actually be generous. Some margin so we can actually go out and meet the needs of people in our life. Okay, if we took a survey around the room, whether you're able to or not, who would like to, who would like to send a high school student to camp next summer? Who would like to? Who would like to send a junior? And not, this isn't a commitment. Okay, chill. You're like, the cameras are on. They're going to get me later. We're not. Okay? I'm not asking you if you're even financially able to right now. How many of you in your heart would like to be able to send a kid to camp so they can hear the gospel of Jesus? I think everybody. Everyone would like to. But not all of us are able to. So what's Jesus say? Create some margin. Okay, it might require adjusting your lifestyle so that you can be generous. It might say, hey, do you know what? Instead of us buying all of our um, groceries from the Buku Bucks health store, let's go to the one that's still pretty healthy but way cheaper. Let's save a little money. Hey, this month, let's try to not eat out as much. I know like Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats, I love them so much. But maybe let's take it down a notch. Let's reel it in a little bit so that if God provides opportunity for us to be generous, we can do it. Because deep down, I think we want to. We want to become like our father who is generous. He gave it all. He paid it all. Part of us, if we're his children, we want the same. We want to help. We want to be generous. We want to be rich towards God. We want to be open-handed with our stuff so we can help our neighbors, love our brothers and sisters in Christ. But we got to figure out a way to make that happen. So Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Here's the result. You'll provide yourself with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that doesn't fail, 
or no thief approaches and no moth destroys. When we live our life for Jesus here, he rewards us in the life that's to come. That's what he's talking about. All throughout the New Testament, you see this thing called rewards theology of how the way we live our life now has an impact on the life we get to live in eternity. So our life, that's a blip on a radar right now, it's a line on a timeline, will reflect what the rest of eternity looks like. There's reward for being faithful with what God has given us. There's a reward when we're generous and open-handed with what the Lord has entrusted to us. And then he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think it's an opportunity for us this morning to even stop and just take a little introspective survey. Here's what he says. Where you spend your time says a lot about you. Where you spend your time says a lot about what you really treasure in your heart. How you utilize the gifts and wisdom and skills that God has blessed you with says a lot about what you treasure and says a lot about what's going on in your heart. How you use and spend or give or not with the treasure that the Lord has entrusted to you says a lot about your heart. So how are we spending it? The rich ruler, it's me, my, mine. Jesus says no, not greed. No, not anxiety. Generosity. It's what he calls us to. It's who our father is. It's what he calls his children to, a life of generosity. I want to offer you three encouragements. These are three encouragements that I've been wrestling with myself this week as I've studied the text. Each one has to do with one of Jesus' main points. The first is this. We ought to embrace a stewardship mindset. If we want to be rich towards God, if we want to be rich towards others, if we want to live the life the way God has called us to live, it requires we embrace a stewardship mindset. Not an ownership mindset, but a mindset that says none of this stuff is actually even mine. Psalm chapter 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Here's the spark notes. God owns everything. Well, not this. Yes, he does. It's all his. Everything is his. You could go look at Matthew chapter 5. There's a Matthew chapter 25. There's a parable Uh, It's the parable of the talents where this master goes away and it says that when the master went away, he entrusted his things to three servants. Friends, that's us. We are the servants and God has entrusted his things to us as stewards. So in this parable, uh, the master gives three different amounts to three different people. Why he does that, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why God gives some people a lot and why God gives some people a little. But he's God, I'm not, he's got it figured out. In this story, he gives one servant five talents. He gives another servant two talents. He gives another servant one talent. You've likely heard this story before. The master leaves, and when he comes back, he goes to the five-talent person and says, what'd you do with what I gave you? And he says, here's what I did. I took your five talents, and I got after it. I busted my butt, and I made you five talents more. I stewarded this as as aggressively and as best as I possibly could, and I made you five more. The master says, wow, well done, good and faithful servant. You doubled it, wow. 
to the two-talent servant. He comes to him and says, what'd you do with what I gave you? And he says, you entrusted me too. I went out, I busted my butt, I got after it, and I made you two more. I did something with what you entrusted me. God doesn't change the message. He doesn't say to the five-talent person, you did so much. No. To the two-talent, same message. Well done, good and faithful servant. He entrusted this other servant with one talent. And that one person played it safe. I guess you could say it that way. They're really just a fool. They took that talent, buried it in the ground, did nothing with it. Master comes back and says, what did you do with what I gave you? And he says, well, I was kind of afraid. So I buried it in the ground. Here's your money back. The master says, you foolish and worthless servant. You didn't do anything with what I gave you? This is what God calls us to. He calls us to stewardship. He's entrusted us with possessions, whatever that looks like for you. You could be a five-talent servant. You might be a five-million-talent servant. I can't even calculate that. I think that's like Bill Gates' money. There's a lot. Maybe he's entrusted you with a lot. Maybe he's entrusted you with a little. Regardless, he calls us to be faithful. What are we going to do with what God has given us? It requires us to have a stewardship mindset instead of an ownership mindset. God, all of this is yours. Help me use it in a way that glorifies you and grows your kingdom. Second thing, Jesus tells us don't be anxious. What I found about my own personal anxiety is that trust is a really good remedy for my anxiety. So don't be anxious about possessions. Don't be anxious about our needs. Instead, we trust God and we seek him first. We trust God and we seek him first. You may have Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 written on a coffee cup or a t-shirt somewhere in your house. Trust in the Lord your God with all your heart. Right? We lean what? Not on our own understanding. In all our ways, we acknowledge him and he will make our path straight. Trust God, not me. Trust Jesus, not me, and he will make my path straight. We trust him. We trust that he loves us. We trust that he's got a plan. And we trust that God's word says he loves the birds. He cares for them. He loves us more than the birds. He'll care for us. God loves the grass. He cares for the grass. God loves us more than the grass. He will care for us and he'll provide our needs as well. We trust God. We fix our eyes on Jesus, not on the shiny things the world offers us. And we also don't fix our eyes on our own dire circumstances and resort to fear and anxiety. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We seek his kingdom and he does the rest. The third thing, we practice generosity. We practice generosity. Two places I want to turn together real quick. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. These are the verses we have printed on our giving envelopes. Um, I guess Highlands trivia there. That really wasn't that relevant, but it's on there. 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 6, says this. The point of this is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So when it comes to practicing generosity, here's what we need to pay attention to. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. You are the one who determines what's generous and what's not. And each of us know. Right? We know in our own situation, in our own circumstance, what generosity looks like. 
It's not a monetary number. It's not a percentage. It's a moving target that's different for each and every one of us. In fact, there's a story. Um, Jesus is observing this whole thing. People are bringing their, their wealth and their riches and they're, they're giving their gifts to God. And then a, uh, a, a humble, poor, broke widow shows up and she gives a widow's mite. It's like two pennies. She gives two pennies. Meanwhile, the rich, powerful, influential folk, they're coming along and they're giving like a lot. Jesus asks the question, who gave the most? Now, in our kingdom, we would say, that's a dumb question. It's obviously the one who gave the most is the one who gave the most. Jesus says, no, it's the widow because she gave all. We need to determine in our own hearts, and we need to be honest with ourselves yet again and figure out what is generous. What is generous? We need to give what we have each decided in our own heart. Then he says this, not reluctantly, I don't really want to do this, but everyone else is, so I guess I'll play along. God, I'd rather not give you this. I guess I will. We have to decide in our own heart. We don't give reluctantly, and we don't give under compulsion just because we have to. Man, if you tithe 10% every month and you feel like God's robbing you 10%, then you got it wrong. That's compulsion. God doesn't want your compulsivity. He wants your heart. He wants your faithfulness. He goes on and says, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's what he wants from us. He wants cheerful generosity. He wants us to take a real long, hard look at our life and for us to each figure out, God, what's generosity look like? It might look like changing your lifestyle, changing your behavior, creating some margins so that you can be generous when opportunities to be generous come up. It may look like for some of you, finances just aren't doing good right now. You need some help. You don't know what it even looks like to, um, no one balances checkbooks. At least millennials don't. For the rest of you, maybe you still do. There's a thing called an online bank. It does all the work for you. It's amazing. You can check your app and have immediate anxiety about how much money is in your account. Maybe you got no idea where to even start with a budget. Church has resources to help you figure that out. The church has people who would love to come alongside you and figure that out. Maybe that's your step. Take out a connect card and say, hey, I need help. I need help figuring out this whole financial stewardship thing. I want to embrace the mindset of a steward so that I can be generous. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, I'm pretty good at generosity. I'm pretty good at finances. I've done well with that. I've been faithful with that. And I would like to come alongside some people and help them figure it out also. You can take out a connect card and jot your name, your info down and say, hey, I'd like to help. This is what God calls us to. He calls us to generosity. I'm gonna close one more passage, 1 Timothy 6. It's the same place that we started. 1 Timothy 6, he told us earlier on in verse 9, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. So don't desire to be rich. Don't pursue that. Don't seek that. But here's the deal. The story of the, the, the talents, the parable of the talents, God gives some people a lot. And he gives some people a little. That's just the reality of the situation. Why he does that, I'm not sure. Still, don't desire to be rich. Rich, but here's what he says in verse 17. 
But as for the rich in this present age, that's the reality of the situation. People end up rich. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. God gave someone who had a lot even more. Here's what we need to figure out. Is that me? Is that you? Because rich is the next guy, right? Right, like no, I'm not, like I'm doing okay. But rich is like that guy. You know what that guy says? No, like I'm, like I'm, I'm doing okay. But rich, like, whoa, that guy. If you got an extra gallon of milk in your fridge, you're doing pretty good. You got a phone in your pocket, you're doing pretty good. You drove yourself to church this morning, you're doing pretty good. If you threw away lunch meat on Saturday that you bought on Wednesday because it smelt a little funny, you're doing pretty good. We got to be real. We got to be honest. Look at our own situations and see, is this me? Compared to the world standards, I would contend each and every one of us is sitting in this room this morning. This passage is for us. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Don't be prideful and boastful. Don't be like, look at me and look what I got and flaunt your stuff to impress people you don't like whose opinion don't even matter. Don't. Don't be haughty. Also, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. I don't know a lot about financial stuff. I do know this. Markets can crash and economies can turn. If we place our faith, our hope, our trust in that, hmm, that's a dangerous trust. That's a dangerous hope. Instead, we set our hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do rich, to do good, to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up, again, here's the rewards God gives us, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. I want to read this one more time. It says, God who richly provides us everything to enjoy. Friends, I hope uh, this morning you're hearing me right. I'm not saying none of your time can be spent on having fun. I'm not saying it's unholy to go on vacation with your family. I'm not saying you should spend none of your time doing things you like. That's not the point. The point is faithfulness. God has called us to be faithful. When we look at the way we spend our time, do we spend it in a way that builds the kingdom, that's rich towards God, that's rich towards other people? I'm not telling you you can't have fun and not go play golf. I'm not telling you you can't use your skills and talents and hobbies and interests to enjoy life. God even says in that passage, he's giving us these things for our enjoyment. I'm not telling you you can't spend a little money to go do cool stuff and go see the world. The world's a really cool place. If you're hearing me say, no more fun, that's not the point. The point is faithfulness, and the point is enjoyment. But here's what I found in my own life. There's enjoyment in living, and there's enjoyment in giving. Sometimes more. To realize the way we're spending our money that God has entrusted us with is actually expanding the kingdom of God and changing lives. Friends, that brings me joy. 19 years old, I heard a message like this talking about tithing. You know, exactly 10%. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I don't know. Great place to start. So since 19 years old, I've just been giving 10% of my income to the church. 
It's just the thing that I started to practice. It's something that many of you practice. For some of you, that's not the ceiling, that's the floor. You've said, no, 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 no. We're not giving less than 10, but we're going to give as much as we can. Here's why I say it brings me joy. Because when we have someone like a Don come up, and he tells his story and says, you all sponsored me to come to camp. I gave my life to Jesus. I find joy. Do you know why? Because I got to be a part of it. Maybe small, but I got to be a part of it. Okay, when a student graduates high school and comes and says, hey, I think I want to be a pastor when I graduate. I'm looking at a, like private Christian education stuff and it's really expensive. You know we have a scholarship fund as a church that helps people who want to be pastoral, like pastors in ministry. We help them go to school. And when someone graduates and enters the ministry and continues preaching the word of God and continues expanding the kingdom of God, you know why that brings me joy? Because I got to be a part of that. We have all sorts of ministry partners. Choices Pregnancy Center, we brought them up a couple of weeks ago. Guess what happens? Every time a mom who's questioning abortion goes into Choices Pregnancy Center and chooses life, I have joy. Do you know why? Because I got to be a part of it. There's joy in giving. One of my good friends, Dustin Orem, he's been doing BMX forever. He goes to Africa, does backflips. Kids listen to him share the gospel. He's one of our church missionaries. When Dustin does a backflip and then leads a kid to salvation, guess what? That brings me joy. Why? Because I got to be a part of it. Natural disasters wreak the Midwest all over the country. Things are going on, and I can't drop what I'm doing and go there tomorrow. I don't know how to help. But we have ministry partners in Convoy of Hope where if something happens, something bad happens tomorrow, they're prepared for it today. They're the hands and feet of Jesus and they're bringing hope to people all over the world. Why does that bring me joy? Because I get to be a part of it. There's joy in living. There's joy in giving. So friends, when we ask you to start faithfully giving to the church, this isn't just something we want from you. It's joy that we want for you. There's more to life than the abundance of riches. There's more to life than just food and clothing. This is what Jesus said. There's more to life. So we fix our eyes on Jesus. We live our lives with open hands, realizing, God, you've entrusted me with all sorts of stuff. Would I be a steward of it? Would I do something amazing with it for your glory and for the growth of your kingdom, not my own? I don't know where you're at this morning in your financial picture. Maybe you need some help building a budget. Write it down on a card. We'd love to help you figure that out so you can create some margin in your life and live the generous lifestyle that God's called us to live. Many of you, Highlands is your family, and you love these types of messages because you've been doing your part, and this is an opportunity for other people to join the team, for other people to start contributing too. Man, if that's you, thank you. God's doing amazing things, saving lives of students like Adon, saving people left and right, helping moms choose life. Thank you for partnering in that. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not contributing to your family. First of all, if Highlands Church is not your family, I'm not asking for you to give money here. I'm not asking you because you find out what your family is and give money to that family because I bet you God's doing amazing things there too. But if this is your home, if this is your family, 
I don't feel bad asking at all for you to start contributing because God is, has been, and will continue to do amazing things through his church right here at Highlands. I want you to be a part of it. Something I want for you. It's what God wants for us as well. Let me pray for us and then we'll close in one more song of worship. God, thank you for who you are and what you've done. God, thank you for giving it all, for not holding back. God, help us embrace that stewardship mindset where we can understand that the things you've given us aren't for us. They're for you. God, that when we find joy in the things you provide, we find joy in the time you give us, we find joy in the talents you give us, and we can um, find joy by spending the treasure that you've given us. God, help us experience the joy, not just of living, but the joy of giving. The joy of being generous. The joy of being rich towards you, towards your church, towards your people. God, I know it can be a a hard message to receive, but I pray even those this morning who are still struggling with it and still thinking all the church wants is my money. God, you want so much more from us than just that. This morning, would you captivate their hearts, their minds, their souls? Invite them into this joyful journey of giving, of being generous. Again, because Heavenly Father, that's who you are. That's who we want to be as your children. God, we love you, we praise you, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Friends, let's not complicate this whole thing. Okay, it's a relatively simple concept. It's a little harder to live out. Don't be greedy. Don't be greedy for more and more and more. Don't be anxious that God's not gonna provide for you. Instead, lean into Jesus and be generous with what he's given you. Our prayer team is going to be down front. If you've got needs, maybe you're working through something, they'd love to pray with you, pray for you this morning. Maybe there's some great things going on in your life and you'd love to just give God praise. They'd love to praise God with you this morning as well. Maybe the first step of you giving God everything is giving your life to him this morning and responding in faith, repenting of your sin and choosing to follow Jesus. We have a team of people in the back of the worship center this morning. It's our Follow Jesus team. They'd love to connect with you, help you take your first steps. Maybe it's your next steps in following Jesus. But for the rest of us, as we leave this place, would we live on mission? Would we love each other, go out into the world and be the light of the world that God's called us to be? We love you guys. Love each other. Live on mission. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.